This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Thursday. This is Seattle Now. Prostitution on Aurora Avenue has vexed Seattle leaders for decades. But two recent motel closures have led to a decline in sex work and crime in the area. It's unclear if it will last. The Seattle Times' Sarah Jean Green explains how Aurora got this way and what tools the city and police are using to rein it in. But first, let's get you caught up. Ballot counts were disrupted in four Washington counties yesterday after election workers received envelopes containing white powder. In a statement, Washington Secretary of State Steve Hobbs called the incidents acts of terrorism to threaten our election. Workers in King, Pierce, Skagit, and Spokane counties were evacuated for a time. The Seattle Times reports there was fentanyl present in envelopes sent to King and Spokane counties. No employees were harmed. King County election spokesperson told KUOW the white powder was contained in a regular envelope that came through the mail. King County resumed the count eventually, but election workers were only able to process an extra 21,529 ballots. At the end of the day, not much changed for incumbents. They're still trailing. Councilmember Dan Strauss picked up more votes in his race against Pete Hanning. He now trails by 185 votes. Former Seattle City Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda is still locked in, but leading a tight race for the King County Council. Challenger Sophia Aragon. And the Seattle Sounders are in advanced talks to buy the OL Reign, according to sports business site Sportico. Though talks could still fall apart, OL Reign is in the midst of playing for a National Women's Soccer League championship. The final is in San Diego Saturday. French soccer holding company OL Group bought the Reign in 2019 for about $3 million. Sportico currently values the team at about $49 million, based on the values of other teams that were recently sold. Before we get started, we're talking about prostitution today. This episode includes references to sexual violence. So if you're not up for it today, completely understand. We'll see you tomorrow. Aurora Avenue has been the city's center for prostitution and sex trafficking for decades. Three years ago, the Seattle City Council repealed its drug trafficking and prostitution loitering law. That means law enforcement can't question people being prostituted or ask for identification. And that makes it harder to build cases against pimps and sex traffickers. The city stepped in in a different way last spring and in August shut down two motels that were supporting what had become an untenable, dangerous cycle of crime and prostitution. In the short term, it seems to be working. Prostitution is down for now. Seattle Times reporter Sarah Jean Green is here. She's been reporting on this. Thanks so much for taking the time, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Good to be here. It's pretty obvious to anyone driving up and down Aurora that there are lots of people walking the streets. And I want you to describe for people who may not know what Aurora is like, what it's like out there any given day. Well, it's a little bit different now that we've gotten into a little bit of colder weather. But during spring and summer especially, 
there's there had been at least surrounding these two motels dozens and dozens of women and and girls the lowe's parking lot to the north of the two motels the you know in the weeks that i was out there you know there were a handful of young women wearing next to no clothing and wearing oftentimes wearing you know very tall heels and you can see them loitering there and tapping on car windows and engaging in conversation with apparent sex buyers and then getting into vehicles that then drive off into the neighborhood so sarah how did these two areas of Aurora become traditionally areas where there's a lot of prostitution? This is not just a recent thing. The track's been popular for decades, but it shifts. It moves around within, you know, Aurora's pretty uh, long stretch of highway, urban highway, you know, that stretches down from shoreline. So it just, it moves as the market changes, if you will. What I had heard from police was these two motels had just become an open-air sex market where, you know, sex buyers would drive into the parking lots and women would stand out in front of the, the driveways. And, you know, it just it just made it easy to conduct prostitution activities at these two motels that were apparently renting rooms uh, to either the pimps or, or to the women themselves. And... That really kind of centered the other criminal activity that goes along with prostitution, specifically drugs and guns. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, it's more than just soliciting for sex. It's everything that goes along with it. You know, let's take a step back, Sarah. We are in this situation right now of unchecked prostitution because of some decisions that the city council made. Let's talk about how that decision impacted where we are right now. Sure. The motives behind repealing the drug traffic and prostitution loiter laws was, you know, to decrease the impact on people of color because they were being disproportionately impacted by those by those city laws. And by removing them, it just it's just taken away a tool that police use to contact some of the women, they can still do social contacts, but there's there's nothing that would compel a woman to stay and actually have a conversation with an officer. How fascinating, Sarah, that we're solving one really important problem of disproportionality and creating another one. What has law enforcement said to you about how it's working and how it's dealing with this new law in place? You know, you'll see patrol cars in the parking lots or parked on Aurora. But, you know, unless they see a crime being committed, and now because prostitution loiter is no longer on the books, that's no longer illegal. So, you know, these women and girls can walk up the street all day long, as one of the lieutenants said. You know, there's not much that police can do in terms of the, you know, overt activity that they see. You can't just assume that a woman who gets into a car is going off to in a you know a paid sex act. So it's just limited, you know, in terms of the kind of stops that they can do. All right. 
Let's talk a little bit about this alternative approach the city took by shutting down these problematic hotels in August. Tell me how they contributed to the problem. So what's in the municipal code is a part about chronic nuisance properties. And what the police need to do is to prove that these properties are directly related to crime in the area. And so they began amassing the the data and were able to show that these two motels in particular were facilitating, if you will, both prostitution, but also, you know, those those other other crimes that always come along with prostitution, whether that's, you know, fights between pimps over turf, um, drug dealing or drug deals that, you know, somebody's trying to rip off a drug dealer. So there was all this violence that was, you know, connected to the prostitution activity. And so SPD documented all of that data and we're able to sit down with the motel owners and say, look, here's here's what we're dealing with and here's the issue with your property. You know, you can either enter into a corrective agreement with us or we're going to take you to court. And so these corrective agreements, you know, shut down the motel so you immediately stop whatever activity is going there just because you've closed the business. And then... There's a whole list of requirements that the the motel owners must meet and go through a whole slate of inspections before they're allowed to reopen. Fascinating. So the city attorney's office basically offered these motel owners an ultimatum. We can shut you down because we know that you're participating in illegal activity by renting out rooms or you can enter into this agreement, clean up your act, and reopen. How long has it been? What's the update? They closed down in August. One of the motels, the Emerald, you know, there was clearly renovations and construction activity when when I was out there. And you can see that they're, you know, working through those steps to get to the point to be, be able to reopen. Some of the motels, you know, it takes them longer than others to work, you know, work their way back to meeting all of those requirements on the path to reopening. You know, we're talking about this very matter-of-factly, but there's women and people caught up in this very dangerous situation. Uh, That's only, from your reporting, I've learned, become more dangerous since the pandemic. You know, from what I've heard, a lot of the sex buyers have become far more violent and aggressive since the pandemic, and they haven't seen that violence taper down. I mean, during the pandemic, we saw violent crime across the country spike, and in many places, you know, it's kind of stabilized. So that violence hasn't necessarily reverted back to what it was pre-pandemic. Before the pandemic, you know, women on the streets were asking for toiletries and hand warmers. Now they're asking for pepper spray and these uh, cubitons, like self-defense tools where, you know, you aim for the eyes, you aim for the jugular, and you aim for the groin in order to get away from a sex buyer who turns violent. Sarah Jean, this sounds like a brutal situation going on out here. Let's end by talking about someone who's trying to help these women. 
Yeah, there are local nonprofits. You know, Rust is one of them. The Organization for Prostitution Survivors is another. Um, I believe there's a program through the YWCA of Seattle or Greater Seattle. So there are people who are, you know, offering services, trying to, you know, provide, you know, emergency shelter, temporary housing, moving people into, you know, different housing situations to get them away from this life and allow them to start to heal. So, you know, there are a lot of compassionate people in this city and in this county. And, you know, there are prosecutors and police officers who are working really, really hard to hold people accountable. Sarah Jean Green, really appreciate that. Thanks so much for your reporting and your time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore and Vaughn Jones. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez and Claire McGrain. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.